0: Good morning and welcome to episode 708 of Effectively Wild, the once and future daily podcast of Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com I am Ben Lindberg of Grantland Joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus Hello Hey, how are you? I'm sleepy Because a trade broke at an inopportune time Okay For you and
1: for Mr. Troy
0: Tulowitzki. Yeah, that's true He didn't know I didn't know No one told us We both had a right to know Yeah You, you were both unhappy about we it We were We were So before we talk about trades we have a few things to discuss. One, did you see Andrews throwing a glove at a ball?
1: No, I did not.
0: Well, that happened. So that was a thing that we talked about not too long ago. There was a listener email about why players don't do that more often or ever. And we concluded that they probably shouldn't ever do that because there are penalties associated with it that would, if it worked, it would not work. If it worked, there would be a a stiffer penalty, and you'd be in an even worse situation than if you hadn't tried to throw your glove. So he did it. He threw his glove. It was pretty close, I would say. I think he was probably a little late on the throw, but it was definitely on line, and Jeff Bannister was not pleased (laughs) about this throw. He said, my reaction is that I don't think that's the way we want to play it. I think it was a momentary lapse of awareness. It's only the second time I've seen it in my career. I don't think you will see it happen again here, so that's sad. The Rangers won't be doing it again. He didn't say what the first time was. I'd like to know what the first time was, but it was a nice little attempt, so we can add that to the list of improbable things that we've talked about that have happened after we talked about them.. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I thinking, was thinking hey, there can... was going to be something much less obvious. Like no,
0: it was yeah, it was <laughs> it was exactly what we were talking about.
1: One of our stompers does this in batting practice, and
0: uh-huh.
1: well, none no, of the others.
0: No penalty but, in batting practice.
1: No, but all the same, there's nobody else does, and uh, and I'm told this is kind of it is conce- it is perceived as being fairly amateurish, uh-huh. and. And I've been thinking about talking to him about it because oh. there's a little bit of there's a little eye rolling, although it's now it's been a while. And now I, I think the eye rolling has stopped. And now I think it's just like, oh, that's what he does.
0: Maybe he'll listen to the podcast and then you won't have to talk to him.
1: No, none of our none of our stompers care for our content. <laughs> <laughs> that is one thing we have learned.
0: It's <laughs> true. I don't blame them um okay what else there was a three six two triple play did you see that i always feel like i'm doing a jay leno monologue when i have these weird stories from baseball and i ask you if you saw them so you did not see this
1: no that's three six two doesn't seem that weird to me though That actually seems fairly normal right uh, like that's an easy one it's a ground ball to first first baseman steps on the bag takes the force off throws to the shortstop covering second who puts down the tag on the runner going to, to second and the guy on third who did not break on the play because it was too you know it was right at the first baseman who would have been thrown out at home he decides that once he sees a complicated play developing he's gonna go and then he gets thrown out by a split second. Am I pretty much right? Sort of it was it was a little odder than that I think this exact
0: thing that happened I read had only happened once before. It was, it was weirder than you were saying. There were two runners on third base, and then it was like 362, but it was more like 362 gravity, like someone just fell, and there was just a spontaneous collapse that played a part. You can see it. I sent it to you, but you once gave me the scoring for a strange triple play and asked me to describe how it happened, and I was totally off. So I wanted to do the same to you.
1: It's ugly and it's embarrassing but oh so fun to watch. All right.
0: Their ball. The tumble.
1: And now he's falling down. That's
0: a smart play in his part. Oh, yeah, it's completely different.
1: Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, the, and then What's up with the ball daddy? Okay. take it. So the fact that it is 362 is like the least interesting part of this, right? Because <laughs> the 362 that I described would make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. This is 362, but I mean the real question is has there ever been a play well, there probably has been, but has there ever been a play in which the catcher held on to the ball for so long? Like in a, in a live play? Because he gets the ball and then well, and the second baseman doesn't do anything or the shortstop doesn't do anything. He, he has no role except he is a he's a middleman. He doesn't get any outs. Mm-hmm. It might as well have just tipped off his glove for his role in this. But then the catcher spends a very long time with the ball and yeah, that's a weird play. That is a very weird play that feels like should should have more numbers in it.
0: Yeah. So it was I guess it was the fact that it was the catcher directly recording two outs. Mike Mike Zanino was the catcher. This was a Mariners-Blue Jays game. So, yeah, the fact that Zanino recorded two outs unassisted was weird. Um, And so that, that, I guess, is the the easiest way to describe why it was weird. And I think that specific way in which it was weird was made at the second time that had ever happened, according to the, the Sabre triple play database, which I didn't know was a thing until this. There was one other time that this happened in 1955 in a game between the Orioles and Kansas City A's. So weird triple play.
1: Wait, when you say it happened,
0: the, the exact catcher, play? the catcher recording two outs himself. I guess it
1: was the same.
0: Yeah. So it says it scored as yeah, there were men on second and third on this play, and it scored as three six two two. So I think it's the same, the same sequence. Oh, huh. well, okay. there's a lot of baseball games, so strange things will happen every 60 years or so.
1: If there were runners on second and third, this was runners on first. This was runners on first and third. True. And so that that explains how the shortstop got involved with it, but it's not clear how a shortstop would have been involved if the runners started on second and third.
0: Mm, yes, it's true. Mm. All right, well, this has been another edition of our long-running segment I've been and Sam watch videos that no one else can see, although you can see them if you're at a computer. I'll link to them in the Facebook group, and you can go watch them. And Alex Rodriguez turned 40, and he hit a home run, so he is now at 678 homers. So you must be feeling pretty good about your bet with Andy McCullough.
1: How many does he have this year, then?
0: 24.
1: No kidding. Yep. So let's see. I Nobody had ever hit enough homers from age 39 on. I want to see what the record is for most homers from 40 on impromptu play index and see if that, if he's in range of getting to where it's more realistic. All right, so age 40 onward, most career home runs is 72. Ooh. That's a long ways. Yeah. So 763 minus 72 is 691. So he would need 13 more homers this year, which would be... It's doable. Doable, but a lot. Still a lot. Yeah. But, yeah. No, I mean, well, we're going to talk about, you know, we're going to talk about players in a minute, players being traded. Uh And, you know, just anybody who, who thinks that, like, we we're good at this, or we're talking like we're predicting things that we know. I mean, Mark Teixeira and A Rod are both ha- having their best years since like 2008, and they were both like given up, uh, you know, left for for dead. Mm-hmm. So what you know, really, what do we know? <laughs> very 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 little. Yeah, A Rod's
0: stats right now, his weighted runs created plus or whatever, is identical to his 2003 season with the Rangers when he won an MVP award. Yeah, And that's kind of a, a fun fact that lies, like all fun facts, because he was a shortstop when he won that award, and also that was not nearly his best offensive season, so it's not like he's hitting as well as he ever has either, but still, that was a long time ago. He was much younger then, and he his, is doing the same thing that he was doing then.
1: His OPS plus is uh, considerably higher than his career OPS plus. Yeah. Which is not necessarily one that lies. Mm -mm. (laughs) That's just a fact. Yeah, he is actually outperforming his career average. Yeah. I wanted to talk about real quick. I wanted to make sure everybody is aware that Baseball Prospectus put together uh, digital magazines for each of the four Hall of Famers. Oh yes. That were just inducted, and uh, these are basically they are for sale through the Baseball Prospectus app. So you can go uh, get them if you're a person who wants to read Baseball Prospectus, but has been intimidated by the year-long commitment of subscription. For instance, this is a very good way of getting a, a baseball prospectus portion that is perhaps sized more to your appetite. And um, we would enjoy it if you read it. I wrote a piece about John Smoltz and how he provides the template for a Hall of Fame pitcher in the uh, post-300 win era. Of course, someone will win 300 wins. I'm not to... I'm not saying that nobody's going to win 300 wins again. I'm not that guy. They will. However, it used to be basically that uh, 250 was was what got you in, and, and now we see that uh, in, a, in the way that starting pitchers are used, it's much more likely that we'll see a lot of guys who don't get 250 make the Hall of Fame. John Smoltz is one of them, and, and for a lot of reasons, he provides the template for how a, a career is likely to go for a Hall of Fame pitcher. And uh, So I wrote that, and um, Craig Goldstein edited that magazine. Um, and so anyway, they're for sale at the, do I pronounce as iOS or iOS, iOS, <laughs> iOS, right?
0: You're giving yourself away as a, I, as an old school phone user. Yeah. iOS.
1: Was, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they, <laughs> so you can go to the iOS app store and Google play. Uh, they are 3.99 each and we're, a, I hope that you enjoy them, and uh, B, uh, I'm interested to see what the response will be to this sort of product. So uh, there's a bunch of new stuff, a bunch of great writers, a bunch of great BP writers, and, and some writers from outside BP, as well as uh, some of our archived content on each of these guys, and it's a great way to celebrate their careers, so please do that.
0: I like that unintentional appetite pun. Very good.
1: I don't know what the pun is.
0: It's an app.
1: Appetite, <laughs> appetite. Got it. Yeah, got it.
0: Okay, so there were a bunch of trades. There will be a bunch more trades, I'm sure, in the next few days. But maybe, maybe some of the big deals were gotten out of the way early. And I don't know which ones we're gonna touch on, but we will probably touch on the the two biggest ones, which would be Johnny Cueto to the Royals and the one that broke last night. Troy Tulowitzki to the Toronto Blue Jays and I would say that up until the Tulowitzki trade all of the trades that had happened made sense in a in a different way than the Tulowitzki trade did. They were your typical team that needs something, team that has a weak spot, trades for something from another team to fill that weak spot. So the Astros traded for Scott Kazmir and people had been saying since April that the Astros really needed a starter. And maybe they needed a starter a little less after they called up Lance McCullers and Vincent Velasquez but and got Scott Feldman back. But still, they could have used a starter. It wasn't totally unanticipatable that they would get a starter. And same with the Royals, in a sense, in that the Royals' obvious weakness was their starting rotation. They not only didn't have an ace, they, you could argue, didn't really have an above-average starter. They sent Jordano Ventura down briefly to AAA until Jason Vargas got hurt. And then it's a bunch of guys who kind of been off and on and okay and Edinson Volquez and Danny Duffy and Jeremy Guthrie, and that was the Royals rotation. And somehow they had the best record in the American League anyway and a very comfortable division lead. And so they didn't really need to make a big move in a sense. I mean, they they had very strong playoff odds, even though projection systems continue to think that they're not quite as good as they have been for a year now. But they didn't have to make a move to make the playoffs necessarily, and we're not used to seeing the Royals be buyers. Joshi had wrote about that. Ranny Gisarely wrote about that for Grantland. Just the history of Royals trading for players at the deadline is like backup first baseman and middle relievers for the most part. They've never really landed the big guy at the deadline. So in that sense, it's new and strange, but it totally made sense in that the Royals needed a starter. Coito's the best starter available. His skill set seems to work really well with the Royals' defense, and it makes the Royals really, really good. I don't know if there's anything else that you want to say about that. It makes them slightly more likely to make the playoffs but not that much more because they were quite likely to make it anyway. But it certainly helps them in the postseason where now they have an ace and you don't necessarily need an ace to win in the postseason, but it helps. And they, along with the Rays, have been the team that has used their bullpen the most this year and for a good reason, for a different reason really than the Rays have. The Rays is more about a a times-through-the-order effect and – not having starters go deep into games and maybe there's an aspect of that with the royals also but i think it's more a response to the strengths and weaknesses of their roster in that they have a pretty pretty lousy starting rotation and a really excellent bullpen and so they've wanted to get more out of the latter and less out of the former but you could imagine that eventually catching up to the team and backfiring or Making the relievers exhausted by the time October rolls around, so now you've got Quato who goes deep into games and takes a little bit of load off the bullpen, and that's that. And I just talked about the Quato trade without talking about the red side of it at all, which is consistent with our past.
1: Is there a story behind Quato's second and third to last starts where he pitched he didn't pitch well? Like is there was there anything happening there? Was there were people There were concerns about Hamels
0: and Cueto, because they had had a couple of weak starts in a row, and I don't think there was a story with with Hamels. His velocity was down in the start right before his no hitter, and so people were sort of worried about that. Uh, but it totally bounced back in his no hitter, and he had better stuff than he's had all year. I don't think there was a similar story with Cueto. He had a he had a brief. Out of elbow soreness earlier in the year but he had like 10 straight great starts after that so I don't think that was a concern at that point so no other than some speculation about the trade deadline pressure getting to him or something I I don't think there was any more concrete concern
1: so are the uh do you think it's conceivable I don't know the probably TV drives all this stuff more than anything else but this is the second straight year that the Royals are going to go to the postseason. They're going to, you know, they were they went to the World Series last year. They might be the worlds. They might be the World Series favorites in the AL this year. Maybe I'm not sure, mm-hmm. uh, going into it. And attendance is up considerably. They're fifth in attendance in the American League this year. Presumably, po- quite possibly, they'll be even higher than that next year. Is it conceivable that the Royals just aren't a small market team anymore? That they were a small market team because they were in a fairly small market and they were losing for 20 years, but that in fact they're more like, I don't know, like the Brewers or even kind of maybe the Mariners, where going forward they just are a normal, or the Twins maybe, where they're a normal team that uh, when they win, they can carry $130 million payrolls. Is it conceivable that that's the Royals going forward? You'd think that
0: any team could do that now, right? The Brewers are... Still small market. I'd still call them small market.
1: The the Brewers are in a small market, but they've always had a a famously supportive market. Like it's it's a market that I don't know. Maybe there's like there's no you know beaches or whatever. So maybe (laughs) they just go to baseball games. But they like they draw really well and they have good TV ratings. Yeah, uh, better than the size of their market. So, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean Brewers are that way. But then other teams are not that way. The uh, the Rays for instance no matter they could win the world series and they would finish next year 14th in the AL in attendance. Yeah. And I'm like that's not that's probably not an exaggeration. The Indians don't seem to do well regardless and the A's don't seem to do well regardless. Mm-hmm. And so there are small market teams. Yeah. So I'm not sure the Royals are one though.
0: Yeah, that that makes sense. And they they spent some more money this year not maybe as much as people were expecting because they Lost Butler and Shields, and then there was some speculation that they would spend that money and also spend money that they'd gotten from the postseason run last year. And they didn't go crazy, but they spent enough that people weren't upset about it. But they spent weirdly. I I didn't think their moves were particularly good over the winter, and they have worked out okay. Alex Rios hasn't. He's been bad and hurt. But Morales and Volquez have been fine. You know, nothing special, but worth, worth the money. They-
1: kind of spe- Ed has kind of been special. You think? I mean, look, it, he has a, he's been considerably better than John Lester and Jeff Samarja, who were two of the big offseason starting pitching acquisitions. And he's been considerably better than James Shields, who was another big offseason pitching acquisition. I mean, honestly, seriously, name an offseason pitching acquisition that it was better than him. Hmm. Has he been better than all those
0: guys without accounting for Royals' defense or w- with accounting for Royals' defense?
1: Well, that gets a little trickier, but he's been better than Shields yeah. without accounting for Royals' defense. And let me see. He's been a little worse than Samarja and worse than Leicester.
0: Yeah, uh, Royals' defense forgives a lot of sins but but yeah okay good move it's a fine move
1: all right so still don't want him starting game two of a series <laughs> I? yeah I never will
0: well he was he was basically at the point of being the game one starter before this trade so this trade was probably pretty important so even after adding cueto let's see where the playoff odds have them as far you as to, expected winning percentages.
1: Can I tell you something real quick that's sure. amazing? You know we're in the high strikeout era, obviously. Yes. But we're also in the low, in a low walk era. Mm-hmm. And Edison Volquez currently leads the American League in walks yeah. with 47. Uh-huh. He's walked, he's walked 3.4 per nine.
0: Wow, that's the highest walk rate?
1: Well, it's not the highest walk rate. Oh,
0: okay. He, he leads in, in cumulative walks.
1: While walking 3.4 per nine. Which, when I was growing up, pretty good walk rate. Yeah, Like, I'm going to see in 2000... I'm going to see 1997. In 1997, the American League's walk rate was 3.5 per nine. Things have changed. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. So, and as for the Reds'
1: return, it seemed
0: adequate. It seemed fine. I don't think there was a lot of consternation about them not getting enough. I don't think people were blown away they got uh, a couple guys who were hardly on the radar coming into the year John Lamb and uh, Cody Reed and they were two guys who have sort of upped their stock considerably this year in particular they sort of got three potential starting pitcher prospects um, most of whom are close to ready right now So that seems like a a pretty decent return for a guy that everyone knew they sort of had to trade or probably would trade and who is a two or three month rental and who doesn't bring back a draft pick when he leaves. So it seemed like they, they did fine given those restrictions. Brandon Finnegan, I guess, is the headliner. Maybe he'll end up as a reliever. So there's no... There's no stud. Maybe it's sort of like the David Price return in that there's no one top prospect, but there are a bunch of guys who should be pretty good right now or soon. And if it's like the David Price return, then that's a good thing for the Royals because David Price had a whole another year coming after the trade deadline, and Cueto does not.
1: There's actually the uh, there's only one pitcher in baseball currently qualified for the ERA title. With four walks per nine. Who's that? Tyson Ross. Mm. And then the next number two, you have to drop down to 386 per nine. And he probably won't end up qualifying for the RA title, Ryan Vogelsong, And nobody else over 3.7. What a world. Until Carlos Rodon gets enough innings. Yeah, that is kind of... All right. Anything else Uh, about Cueto? Royals? Reds? Yeah. One thing about Royals. Okay. This is totally off-topic. But I was in in 2000. There were 25 pitchers who walked four per nine, Hmm. and qualified for the ERA title. 25.
0: Although I guess maybe it would be less dramatic if you used walk percentage.
1: Yeah, Yeah, probably it would be. (laughs) Uh, I wanted. We talked about Ned Coletti and the the Cortez burning boats. Yeah. And uh, you might recall that Coletti told the story. To his team about how Cortez had burnt his ships to motivate his men, and then a couple years later told the story again. Only now it was Alexander the Great, and also he used it. He he had the completely wrong, like he completely misunderstood how it was going to motivate, or at least he represented that he completely misunderstood how it was going to motivate the guys. He said it was that we were they were going to take the other guys' boats. That like uh-huh, okay. Well, anyway, uh, Andy McCullough came through. Uh, he sent me uh, a piece that he wrote in spring training this year that I missed at the time that has the baseball anecdote of the 2015 season. Well, I guess it was the 2014 season, but the best baseball anecdote of the year. This is why Andy is the best. There's no doubt that Andy is the best because of this story. I'm going to just read, okay? Okay. At one point in the middle of September, Raul de has told the team a story of Hernan Cortez' assault on Mexico. <sighs> Cortez instructed his troops to set their ships ablaze upon arrival so that they lacked an option for escape. Well done, Raul de Nailed it. Nailed it, okay? This is a story about Jeremy Guthrie, though, not (laughs) Raul de Quote, the idea was not only do you want to take the championship, but you want to burn the boats so no one can come and grab us from behind, Guthrie said, like you want to totally finish somebody off. Okay, Guthrie completely... Guthrie thinks that they're burning the other guy's boats. I think <laughs> he is even worse than Ned Coletti Missed the point of this. I like You want to... T- so that no one can grab us from behind. We can't have boats so that no one can grab us from behind. Makes no sense. I'm pretty sure he thinks that they burned the other guy's boats, boats which is not a particularly interesting story in history. <laughs> if, it, if they did, no. lots of burning of other people's boats, I'm sure. Anyway... So Guthrie wanted to deliver a literal interpretation. Before the AL wildcard game, he stopped at a Hobby Lobby and bought four wooden boats.
0: Oh, I remember this, yeah. He
1: he intended to procure 11 in all, one for each victory required for the title. During the postgame celebration, he wanted the designated player of the game to nail a boat to a board and set it ablaze. (laughs) After the team's frenetic victory over Oakland, Guthrie assigned the task to Sal Perez. A hail of champagne and beer interrupted the ceremony. Guthrie soon scuttled his plans. Scuttled his plans. Scuttling being a a Mm, nautical. Clever. It could have been great, he said, but no one cared. And so I threw the things away. Two guys asked, are we going to keep doing the boat thing? No, the (laughs) boat thing sucked.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's the anecdote that keeps on giving.
1: Oh, my gosh. So that no one can come from behind you.
0: <laughs> Wonder what other possible interpretations of this story there are. <laughs>
1: uh, I've just learned one more than I would have guessed.
0: Yeah. Okay. So trades.
1: So yeah, so share your interpretations of Hernan Cortez's boat <laughs> burning yes. story.
0: Please. In the so it's I guess it's interesting in that the Reds will probably trade more people now. Aroldis Chapman might be going somewhere. That would be interesting to see him go somewhere. Maybe Todd Frazier will go somewhere, although I think Jockity has said he probably wouldn't go somewhere. Maybe Joey Votto will go somewhere. Who knows who will go somewhere. Any red is on the table now because they might as well. If they're going to trade Cueto, they might as well just do the whole thing. Yep. Okay. So we can probably skip over some of the, the minor moves. I don't know if there's... Anything you want to say about either Casimir or the Mets trading for Tyler Clippard and Juan Uribe?
1: No, there's not. Yeah, those those seem like cases where the the Mets. Ben, there's nothing. There's nothing I want to say about the Blue Jays trading for Toy Tulwitsky, but <laughs> yeah, we're here. But you're gonna have to.
0: <laughs> so yeah, those other moves are cases of the Reds or the Mets not having a third baseman and not really having a setup man, and so they got those things,
1: and that's kind of the story of of those trades and, and got and got the A's to pick up money for Yeah. So, yeah, although they I guess
0: gave up a decent prospect for a couple months of a
1: reliever who is not pitching quite as well as he used to. But Yeah, but that's probably the point, right? This is they gave up the prospect so that the A's would take on money. Mm-hmm. So it's just more it's more of the Mets being unable to actually, you know, do the things a team can do because they don't have money and or the ability to spend it. Speaking of which, the Troy Tulowitzki trade, which the Mets had been
0: connected to forever, it was uh, an obvious case of a good fit. It would have been of a piece with all of these other trades if the Mets had gotten Troy Tulowitzki. fine. He's long been rumored to possibly end up there, although evidently he didn't want to end up there, but it would have made sense. It would have surprised us because the Mets would have actually spent money, but it wouldn't have surprised us because of the player and the fit with the team. Whereas the actual trade with the Blue Jays kind of came out of nowhere. The Blue Jays have the best hitting team in the American League and one of the weaker pitching teams in the major leagues. And so all of the speculation was that the Blue Jays would trade for a pitcher. That's kind of been their thing for the last Couple years that they needed to trade for a pitcher and kept failing to trade for pitchers and coming close to trading for pitchers. And so they upgraded an area where they were already strong, not just offensively, where they're as strong as anyone, but shortstop, where they had a serviceable one. Jose Reyes is pretty bad defensively at this point, I would say, but he's still an adequate hitter for a shortstop. He's overall probably an average shortstop or so so they upgraded at a position where they didn't necessarily need an upgrade and they got more hitting which is not the thing that anyone expected them to do and they traded some pretty good players for that pitching maybe not their top prospect they didn't trade daniel norris but they did trade some some pretty good guys some pretty promising guys um Three right-handed pitchers all in their early 20s, all of whom throw hard, uh, a couple of whom are ground ball guys. They traded them to the Rockies. That's evidently the the Rockies type of pitcher now. So what was your reaction to this?
1: That we would have to probably postpone the podcast until the morning while you wrote about it. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't nearly as shocking to me. I mean, I, I've seen stunning, in been, the word stunning in almost every article about this. Mm-hmm. And I guess that, that in the sense that like, if you'd asked me to guess what day, time, and to whom, and for what Troy Tulowitzki would be traded, I probably would have got a different day, a different time, a different team, and a different return. Yeah. So there was none of this that I predicted, but it feels normal enough to me. Well, he is a guy who has had trade
0: rumors surrounding him for three years. I went back and looked at the earliest Troy Tewitzki mentioned trade rumor story in an MLB trade rumors post. And it was, it was over three. It was like the fall of 2012, which was less than two years after the six year extension he signed that he said at the time would make him a Rocky forever. And a couple years after that, the trade rumors started. And for a while, they were, really for most of the time, they were, someone would ask the Rockies if they were going to trade Troy Tolitsky, and they'd say no, and that would be the end of it. And then there'd be another round of identical non-rumor rumors shortly after that. And they seem to have quieted down a bit, at least compared to how loud they were this winter. And so it was... It's not a shock to see Tulitsky traded, I don't think. But the Blue Jays would not have been high on my list of likely destinations uh, just because it was not their need exactly. But that said, it makes them better. It makes them better now. It makes them better for the next couple of years. So they traded Jeff Hoffman, who is one of their top prospects. He's, he's maybe a top... 20 top 30 prospect at this point although every prospect has been promoted this year already so it's kind of a a thinner crop than it usually would be now so he's a guy who was possibly going to be a a top overall draft pick but he had to have tommy john surgery he's come back from that now and he's
1: had pretty good results and and his old stuff seems to be mostly back so that's Hossman. He's, I think he is one of the most polarizing prospects, top prospects out there, though, uh-huh. right now. And I don't know if this says anything. I mean, if you're the Blue Jays, I'd give up anything that was asked for for Troy mm-hmm. Um And so I don't know if this says anything. But it's if, if the Blue Jays are on the low end of him, that would be significant information.
0: Yeah. And the other guys they gave up, Miguel Castro, who was in the major leagues briefly earlier this year. He's 20. They rushed him up along with every other pitching prospect they had and he didn't last very long and he's possibly a future reliever and then there is a third guy who is not nearly of the same caliber jesus tinoco and he's sort of in the same hard-throwing 20 year old tall guy mold maybe the the most surprising aspect of the trade well maybe not once you know that it's the blue jays but just in terms of the usual template for deadline trades, is that Jose Reyes went back to the Rockies, and the only shortstop who's being paid more than Troy Tulitsky right now is Jose Reyes. So it was a salary dump, sort of, in, in which the team that was dumping the salary actually took on a guy who was making more salary just not for as long a period. So that was strange, because all the the reports sort of portrayed it as the Rockies shed $50 million in financial obligations by trading Tulwitski and LaTroy Hawkins. And LaTroy Hawkins is like a million of that because he was being paid about half the MLB average for his one-year deal this year. And then the rest of that is basically years that, Tulowitzki has signed that Reyes is not. So it's sort of deceptive in that sense. It's not exactly like they're shedding money. They're sh- they're choosing not to pay money that they would have had to pay in 2018 and 2019 and 2020. And effectively, it's probably less savings than that because Reyes is probably not worth his contract, whereas Tuowitski is probably worth more than his contract, or at least you could make that case. So, in terms of actual surplus value that they received, or surplus financial value, it's probably considerably less than $50 million. And then they got the prospects. And then there is the expectation that they'll trade Jose Reyes over the next few days, or over the next month, maybe, because he's a guy who could probably pass through waivers, And the reports have said that they don't have a deal lined up for Reyes. And if that's the case, then it's pretty risky to take on José Reyes because he doesn't really have value at this point, I don't think. He's, He's fine, but I wouldn't say that he's worth more than he's making and he's probably worth less than he's making. So theoretically, it would be hard to trade him for anything of value without kicking cash in. And at that point, you're sort of offsetting the value of whatever you're getting back with the cash that you're spending. Although I guess there's there's something to be said for just having a player that you can peg cash to to get prospects back, because you can't just directly buy prospects. You can't go to a team and say, we'll give you $40 million for your prospect. That won't work. It won't be approved by the league. It won't be approved by the team. But if you do a salary dump, then you have a player and he's just kind of a carcass to you that you can ship to this other team and they'll give you a prospect back if you spend some money. So there's that, I suppose.
1: But Is there, a is there in your mind, is there a greater than 50% chance that Jose Reyes is playing for the Yankees at some point in the next nine months? Probably not. Okay. But there's a good chance. There's
0: as good a chance that he'll play for
1: them as for anyone else.
0: He's not going to play for so, the Mets.
1: So Troy Tulewitsky, um If you'd asked me at the beginning of the year who the best player in baseball is on a per plate appearance basis, I would have said Mike Trout, and if you'd asked me who the second best was, I would have said either Troy Tulowitzki or Buster Posey. Uh And so Matt Trueblood, at the beginning of the year, wrote a piece for us about uh, why the Rockies shouldn't trade him, and maybe why they should, and maybe why they shouldn't, and ultimately why they shouldn't, in his mind, because he's too good for what his perceived value was that basically because he doesn't stay healthy you wouldn't and because he was owed so much money teams would be too skittish to give you really what he's worth and that uh, he basically needed a a healthy year a healthy productive year to reestablish his value and as long as he didn't show great decline to basically take some of the overall salary commitment off of his off of off of what you'd be trading for. And so he has basically been healthy this year, mm-hmm. and uh, the amount of money he's owed is now in eight figures, down from nine. He'll get five years and eighty-nine million dollars. And I guess on the other hand, he hasn't been the best player, the second best player in baseball, on a per plate appearance basis this year at all. He's had you know one of his lesser seasons, uh, and he is a year older and perhaps a year closer to eventually shifting positions if it gets to that. So, do you think that this return that they got would have seemed... Because everybody thinks that the return they got is underwhelming, right? Pretty much?
0: Yeah, well, I think part and of that was... Of it
1: because it's by choice, right? It's not... This isn't... There's probably a perception, as there often is in these cases, that they didn't do as well as they could have. Mm-hmm. That That like a bunch of dopes, they went and took the wrong offer. That's probably a perception. Yeah. But... But do you feel like his trade value is any greater than it was three months ago? Do you feel like they could have gotten more if they traded him in the offseason?
0: Well, there's obviously a point at which they could have gotten more for him during the period of trade Tulitsky trade rumors. Um, If they had traded him when people first started suggesting that they should trade him, in retrospect, that probably would have been a good idea, right? Because in the last two-plus seasons... Since those rumors started, he has been the most valuable shortstop in baseball. But the Rockies have gone 182 and 239 over that time. And Tuowitski has gotten older and he's had a down year. And the Rockies have managed to draw fans throughout this period. They've been fifth in NL attendance in each of the last three seasons. And maybe that doesn't happen if they... Trade Tulowitzki because if you trade Tulowitzki, then you might as well trade Carlos Gonzalez, which it sounds like they might start to do, uh, start to explore the possibility of. And so maybe if you do that, they don't draw the fifth most fans in the National League each of the three past years. And maybe financially it makes sense for them to have held on to them. But just purely on what they could have gotten back for Troy Tulowitzki, yeah, they could have gotten more for Troy Tulowitzki.
1: Okay. So do we consider that a botch then? Is this a botch? This is not a front office. This is not an ownership group in particular. I don't think we have a great read on their front office yet. No. This is not a organization that has seemed to have great front offices at any point since 1993. Mm-hmm. And it is an ownership group that, as David Roth talked about when he came on in our preseason series, having written the BP essay, is not an ownership group that seems to be the ownership group you would choose for your team, for your franchise. Mm-hmm. So do we consider this a, uh, why am I blanking on the word? What is that word that Rob Nye wrote in his book? You know, he had that book blunder. about... Blunder. Blunder. Is this a blunder? Is this a uh, disaster or is this just a slightly underwhelming move?
0: Yeah, I don't think it rises or sinks to that level. I think there was there was a, a fun hour or two last night where it seemed like it did. Because yeah. there were some initial reports that suggested that the Blue Jays hadn't given up a, a top prospect, um, and if that had been the case, then yes, I could say that this was definitely a blunder. As it is, every little bit of news that trickled out and every prospect that it turned out was included made this look more reasonable. I think. I think a lot of it probably depends on what happens with Reyes. If they yeah. if they have a Deal lined up for Reyes and there have been a bunch Of reports saying that they didn't but if They do or if they manage to find One and they can Flip him for something useful And either get out from Under his contract or get prospects Back or something then I think this would Probably look okay if they can't Do that and they're stuck with him or they have to Eat the whole contract or they don't Get anything good back then It's not so great
1: I agree I think that I think that Reyes is not going to be a problem for them I think that they will fairly quickly trade him for something useful or various things useful or at least not pay him any any monies. And once you, if that happens, then you're looking at a deal that probably basically fits the format of what you were looking for uh, in this deal. A lot of salary relief, a definite high ceiling guy, and a couple of live arms. I You could imagine getting more, but this doesn't feel like a particularly controversial return if Reyes ends up being no burden to them. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that.
0: I, I mean, is the Tulicki contract one that you would want to be rid I was of? Just
1: gonna ask, I'm That's just going to ask you that. If, <laughs> so it's 5 and 89 after this year, right? Yeah. Assuming that the option doesn't get picked up. Right. And absolutely not. I mean, you would definitely sign him for 5 and 89 sure. without question. Now, That's the point, though, is that assuming, again, assuming, let's consider Jose Reyes to be a wash. Let's say that they can flip him to the Yankees tomorrow if they want to, and the Yankees will take his salary. I don't know if that's true, but let's say that's true, okay? Okay. So then you've got them getting rid of a contract that's pretty favorable for a great player who is otherwise not available and getting the prospects they got in return back. And, again, I think that you can decide that they got a light, a little bit light return, and wanting a little bit more than they got, because I think that Tulawitzki probably, if he signed a five-year deal this off-season, would probably be in line for, I mean, certainly 125. And I don't know that I don't know if he would get 150, but I would give him
0: 150. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I mean, Dan ran his Zips projections for what. Tuliski would be worth over the rest of his contract, and he had him as being a surplus value of forty million dollars over the rest of the the deal. So he would okay, he so would produce be- forty million dollars more than he will be paid essentially.
1: Right. So that would be five and one thirty. Plus, you get the benefit of the option just in case he doesn't decline at all. Then you've got him in the last year for what's effectively like nine million dollars or something like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and probably uh, you know if if you believe that superstars are actually worth uh, a win from a you know, superstars worth a little bit more than a win from a average guy. You might even think that Dan's uh numbers are instructive but undershoot him by a little bit mm-hmm. because uh you just can't get a Tulowitzki. There's there there aren't it's not like the market for Tulowitzki's is not particularly um lubricated. You get mm-hmm. you get one shot.
0: Right. And Dan also had Reyes' contract as a $20 million deficit, uh, he, he'd be worth $20 million less than he's going to be paid. And that kind of diminishes the return
1: that the, that the Rockies got. But I suspect that that's both true and in a market sense not quite. Like I, 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 I think that I would believe that, and I would also bet that somebody would overpay for, for Jose Reyes on what is effectively a, a very short contract.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it's possible that that maybe the Rockies think and have reason to think that this is not just an off year, and it's not just Tulwitski maybe being bored playing for a bad team or getting off to a slow start or something. He he had a terrible May, and then he hit really well in June, and he's on an 0-20 streak right now. But, yeah, I mean, he might finish the season super hot and Tulwitski ish but it could be, you know, could be the beginning of a decline. Could be uh, a guy who has a long injury history, and now he's moving to the Rogers Center where there's hard turf for at least the next few seasons. And maybe that doesn't bode well for him. And, and he's he's been chasing a lot. He's been less selective, and he's been walking less and striking out more and hitting for less power. And so there are some worrisome signs there it's only half a season but this is kind of the first time that we've seen him be healthy and not be really great also which is sort of scary maybe even scarier than if he had been hurt i don't know because we've seen him be hurt plenty but we haven't really seen him just be pretty good and not hurt before though it's always possible that he is hiding some sort of injury so there are reasons to be worried about him and think that maybe he won't age quite as well as the projections think he will maybe the blue jays will still make a trade for pitching maybe the rockies will now make other trades in the coming days i wrote about it so you can go read what i wrote about it if you want to hear more
1: so last year when we did the trade deadline stuff um most trades, as we you know have talked about in the past, most trades don't actually move your World Series odds all that much right. for a variety of reasons. In most trades, one percent is even like a pretty big move. Would you guess that this improves the Blue Jays playoff odds by more uh, World Series odds by more than one percent?
0: Probably not, because just based on the projections for the rest of the season, he's only projected to be about a win better than Reyes over the last two months or so and the blue jays were less than 50 percent chances to make the playoffs and maybe like a one in four to win the division or something like that so i wouldn't think that adding one win on top of that would really move it that much yeah but based on the bp long-term projections i've seen he is projected to be six wins better than reyes over the next two seasons so this isn't just a 2015 move. It's also a move with the next couple seasons in mind, and Buje should still have a contending team next year, and Toulitsky will will help them do that. And by the time his contract possibly starts to be onerous in the way that Reyes' is now, they'll have a bunch of guys coming off the books, Dickey and Burley and Batista and Encarnacion, all those guys' contracts expire by... 2016 or so so they will have plenty of payroll room they just might not have a whole lot of prospects left it's a bold move it's the second time that Anthopoulos has acquired one of the best players in baseball on the left side of the infield in a span of eight months or so so that's interesting he can't seem to get a pitcher but he keeps acquiring really really good position players and their lineup is scary
1: this is at most, at most, at best, the fourth most stunning deal of Alex Anthopoulos' career. <laughs> at best. And like a, a clear tier separation in my mind between the first three and this one
0: Vernon Wells.
1: Vernon Wells, Josh Donaldson, and Marlon's fire sale. Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, he gives us plenty to discuss. So we will do some unspecified number of podcasts for the rest of this week. We'll talk about whatever trades happen. We might answer questions if you send them to podcast at com. You can discuss the deals among yourselves at Facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. Rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast to be alerted when we record one. And support our sponsor, the Play Index, at BaseballReference.com. Use the coupon code BP when you do to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We'll be back soon.